Welcome to the 19th episode of the Cranky Flyer interview presented by Ontario International Airport. Big news! I got on an airplane! The idea that this is big news is just ridiculous, but hey, it's 2020. And I did. I flew to Hawaii. You'll read about that a lot on the blog, the pre-testing program and all that. But while I was there, I was able to sit down with Hawaiian CEO Peter Ingram. We spent about half an hour talking about how the pandemic has gone, how things have been working with the state, and what's next. But before we get started, I want to thank our presenting sponsor, Ontario International Airport. At Ontario International Airport, what matters most are the customers and communities it serves, the safe travels it helps to make possible, the connections and opportunities it creates for one of the most robust population and economic centers in the United States. ONT's rate of recovery puts it third among U.S. airports and first among airports in California. And ONT is the fastest growing in cargo among airports in the continental United States. Even amid a global pandemic, ONT's commitment to the vital role it plays has been unbending. Whenever you're ready, whether it's for work or long-awaited reunions, ONT is ready to get you on to what matters most. Get it? I thought so. Now on with the show. I want to go back to when this all unfolded, uh, when the pandemic started, and really when, I guess, the quarantine went into effect in Hawaii, because, I mean, no airline's in good shape, but you had no route that there was free travel permitted, right? I mean, at some point, it was... From April 1st until June 16th. um, Nothing. We had... We had nothing that was available without a quarantine or an, ex- an exemption. Wait, and then June so, 16th, that's when Neighbor Island opened up? Neighbor Island. And then it closed back down again. 16th. Yeah, in September. <laughs> so when you're running an airline and no one can fly, uh, how, do you, how do you work? How do you, what do you tell the team? What do you tell your people? How do you keep them from despair? Yeah, it, it, look, it was... Uh, it was an incredibly difficult time and there's certainly um, no playbook for it and if anyone's making notes to create the playbook uh, I hope I'm not around to have to use it again <laughs> because um, th- I hope this is a, a once in a career thing I, I the, the beginning of it was was really the the most chaotic part by far because you, you know as I think about the beginning for us, we were having a a sales conference here in February, and we had been watching for a couple of weeks, seeing bookings falling off in Korea and Japan, uh, and you know the, the um, restrictions on travel to uh, China and Korea going in place, and we were we started our first action was to reduce our uh, our flying to Korea and uh, and uh, ultimately you know pretty quickly we we pulled that because it was just going you Nothing. know it was going self in a hurry and and at the time we thought you know this we've seen SARS before we've seen other yeah. things we, we thought it would be a regional uh, <laughs> event it was probably not you know a lot more than a month later that the you know was March 26 was the um, was the um, long haul? Um, That's when you pulled the quarantine, uh, and by that point, 
you know, Australia, New Zealand had shut off, Tahiti had shut off, uh, and so, so we, were, we were incredibly busy doing a lot of work. We were changing schedules, you know, instead of having right. half a dozen schedule changes a year, we were doing a schedule change. Uh, and then, you know, even before it got published, um, you knew it wasn't enough and you were pulling more capacity out. This is even before, you know, it was sort of all down. Right. Um, we, we actually built a, at one point in March, we had planned for a scenario where, because there were rumors swirling that um, the entire airline system might be shut down for right. for uh, a couple of weeks, <clears throat> and we figured, okay, well, you know, there'll probably be some essential flying that continues on that, but let's build a plan for what we do if we have to put everything down, which of course we all haven't done since 9/11, which was very different because that was just land at the closest airport and figure right. it out from there. Uh, that wasn't so much a plan. That this was one, a yeah, so this one, we, we, have, we built a plan that was predicated on, well, we, we assume that we get 48 to 72 hours. Where do you want the airplanes? Um, how do we get people back to the right side of the ocean? How do we get notices out to guests so that they can travel? Um, if we have commuting crews, how do we make sure we, we get them to where their families are when, when the music stops? And so when the quarantines were actually declared, um, it, it was 95% of what we needed to do was in the plan that we had put together over, largely over a weekend and then had, had refined over the course of, of uh, a week or so after that in, in March. Um, in terms of communicating to people, that was as important as anything we did as we were sort of doing all the nuts and bolts of scaling back operations and running schedules and, um, you know, spooling up a reservations uh, capability here because our call center in the Philippines, people couldn't get to work there um, at a time when we were getting a lot of phone calls <laughs> yeah, no kidding. because of all the changes. Um, we, we really quickly went to, um, you know, we, I would do a, in pre-pandemic times, a webcast for all of our teams, you know, maybe once every two, three months. Yeah. Well, we were doing them, you know, every two weeks. And we had more people um, on those webcasts than we had ever had before. Um, so a lot of communications and notices, some of it about, you know, here's what you need to know about working and schedules but just some of it is is here's what we're doing to take care of one another here's here's how policies are changing um, people just really wanted to have a sense of what's going on at a time when everything was moving so fast and so we just have yeah. to keep communicating and make sure people understand that you're you're giving them every bit of information that you have um, so even if you don't have all the information, if they have a sense that you're being honest with them about this is what I know and this is what I don't know, then I think that um, that at least provides some comfort at a time of uncertainty. Yeah, I would agree. I guess one of the issues when things are happening like this is, I mean, even in regular times, rumors take over, right? Especially on the front line, if there's a vacuum of information. So is yep. that the thinking? Is just we need to get as much out there as we possibly can. And yeah, and and uh, and a lot of that, you know, with our um, leaders in the operational groups and and 
um, you know, down those organizations was how do we get that information in so that we can, um, you know, clarify it, put out a policy, what are people asking about? There was a lot of question. One of the, the big issues early on was about um, face coverings. We had a lot of uh, employees, especially those flying to, you, you know, Korea, Japan, before all of that flying was shut down, asking if it was all right to wear face coverings. Yeah. At the time, the CDC and other health organizations said it, it's actually unhelpful to, if you are healthy to be wearing a face covering because we were all focused on how it might transfer from surfaces to hands and right. hands. And, and if you're wearing a face covering and you're not familiar with it, like a doctor, you might be touching your face a lot more. Um, but we ended up, um, even before the science changed the guidance on that, um, we decided, um, look, we've got to, um, we've got to deal with um, the emotional needs of our people that just don't feel right. comfortable in what they're doing. Let's let them wear a face covering. So, so while you're, you're dealing with thousands of anxious people on one side, yeah. um, and then you've got the state that you have to deal with as well, which yeah. um, I think has a more active involvement in the air travel system than any other state that I can think of at least. How are you interacting with the state because on the one hand you want to do what's the healthy thing to do but on the other hand your entire business depends on people getting on airplanes and coming here so you know how, how did that unfold in your interactions with the state I, I think one thing that has been helpful is um, we have had the ability to participate in discussions at every level that they were going on so you know you know I have a a, a much um, um, stronger relationship now with governor lieutenant governor um, Senate president speaker of the house um, all the county mayors um, you know we can we can we can get on uh, a Zoom call or a Teams call or a phone call on the weekend if we have to, and and there was a desire to um, to have uh, Hawaiian and other tourism industry leaders in those discussions. We didn't always dis or didn't always agree on what should be done at different times, and things have certainly evolved as we went along. But one of the things I am hesitant to do we had we had a question on our uh, financial results call last quarter that you know was sort of a political commentary on what the state of Hawaii should be doing and you know what does anyone tell them that they have it all wrong as someone who is leading an organization at an unprecedented time like this I I have some level of uh, empathy for um, there's a lot of stuff going on here and the people who have to make these decisions are dealing with a lot of inputs and a lot of different constituents that, that they have to satisfy. Uh, I would rather be trying to contribute to positive solutions a little bit behind the scenes um, rather than sort of, you know, throwing complaints from, from the cheap seats. Uh, I, I think that's a good way to get uninvited from 
uh, from being able to be part of the dialogue and influence thing. And, and it really isn't constructive at trying to get us to a better place. So you're not Michael O'Leary is what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> Which makes sense. So this has actually been good for the relationship with the state, you think, because I, of the interaction? I, I, I think, um, you know... We, hard to say this is good for anything. Well, this is, this is, that, I'm looking bad, for rays of sunshine here. Um, but, but, but I do think there is, um, there is an ability to, um, to reach out and talk to people as opposed to talking at them or talking past them. And, and, and that is, uh, is helpful. And, and frankly, um, you know, not not all the solutions that we have in place now were even possible when they were first suggested. Um, if when people suggested, well, we should require a test of everybody before they travel in April and May, that was the same as a quarantine in April and May because there was no way to actually get testing at that point. It wasn't available unless you were symptomatic. It True. often wasn't even available if you were symptomatic yep. in April and May. So we've gotten to a point where different solutions are possible. And, I don't think testing is the final destination where we we need to be, but I think it is a good place to be now that balances trying to get the state's economy up and running, not just for Hawaiian, but retail, hotels. Most of the agricultural production in the state gets sold into the hotel industry to serve people who are staying in hotels. All of those things. Um, we, we just we can't stay closed forever. There's too many people um, who are uh, unemployed and without income for too long, and we need to uh, find some way to get back in a way that preserves the health and welfare of our community. So is there anything that you would want to see change in the near term? Obviously, the long term is a different story, but with the whole testing protocol and everything... Um, you know, is there anything that you see as being problematic that needs to be fixed? I, I, I think we need to um, continue to work on refinements. Um, in, you know, the, the process uh, is getting better every day, um, but that doesn't mean we should be satisfied with where we are in terms of people being able to uh, upload their test results, um, get them cleared. So, so getting people through the airports faster is uh, important, and we need to standardize that as much as we can. So it's the same experience um, when you're flying, whether no matter what island you're flying to, and that makes it easier for us to be able to explain it to guests and prepare them and, and get them ready for what they need to know. I think. Um, We've, we did a good job working with the state to help bring a number of testing partners to the table. And I think we need to continue to do that because um, the, the market will ultimately make um, tests more accessible and more accessible at a lower cost if we, um, we do that. So we should have a standard and a mechanism to continue to add testing partners. And I think that will help us um, going forward. So those are, those are some of the things. Um, adding international into it, is, I know, is something that it, um, the, the governor uh, and his team have been um, working on. So having um, testing protocols available for Japan and Korea, I, I, I think Australia and New Zealand are 
are going to be more challenging yeah. for a while because of um, because of their own restrictions. And yeah. of course, there still are quarantines flying into Japan and and Korea right. as well. But is that something the governor can do? Is that that's a federal issue, isn't it? Or uh, well, there, there's there's no prohibition on uh, a Japanese national flying oh, right. into Hawaii. Um, there's not a lot of flights right now. We've got we're flying one one flight a week. Yeah, um, we're flying more flights a week, but the other ones only have cargo. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> so Japan is, and that's the primary market that you're worried about. I mean, yeah, that, that's that's obviously you know by far and away the biggest one. Right. So so that would be our number one target. Um, then um, Korea. Um, right after that. Um, the governor has talked about Taiwan. That's not one we flew into for um, some time, but yeah. apparently there's some appetite there. Um, the, the other thing um, that I think we need to look at is, I don't know that, uh, I, I do not believe that um, testing is a viable solution even for the near term for neighbor island travel. Yeah. Because the cost of the test relative to um, the typical cost of a trip when um, ticket prices are um, very, very modest relative to the cost of a test. And often people aren't paying for accommodations because they're staying with um, friends and family or just going for a day trip. We're, we're not going to um, get that travel back to normal with a testing uh, regime yeah. or even anywhere close to it. Yeah. And then you have the big island with the the double testing thing right is that also for neighbor island travel or is that just for mainland i don't know if they're doing the second test for we'll have to check that. the neighbor island yeah yeah the, the arrival test for neighbor but island see this travel, is the, everyone's so confused like yeah, that's the problem I, I, i'm yeah. confused <laughs> this is exactly the problem, the problem. <laughs> it's yeah. what's happening so right so again um, that standardizing um that i think is uh is important I, I would hope that um, you know we. Uh, you're just arrived today, so you're not in you know reading the Hawaii news every day. But we had a the reason the neighbor island quarantine came back is because we had a spike in cases here in uh, in Oahu, and From the counties became concerned about um, about where there is less healthcare capability in Kauai and Maui and the Big Island. They became concerned about people traveling from the new hotspot of Oahu. Um, that has come down a lot over the last four weeks, as yeah. you know, evidenced by the fact that we've moved to phase two uh, today in, uh, yeah. in our regime. So, um, you know, we were, we were over 300 new cases a day on a regular basis. We've been down for a few weeks now, a couple weeks at least, under 100. I think the average last week was 62. As that continues to come down, I hope we go back and revisit um, putting the quarantine uh, in place on Naver Island travel in its entirety and not just stop and say, oh, we handled that with the, the testing. Couldn't you just offer to fly anyone to Oahu that's sick? You have some ATRs. <laughs> <laughs> sadly to be unused shortly I, I do have questions about that though with Ohana it sounds, yeah. so this was a this was a pilot contract issue right um, yeah we have uh, we have provisions in our contract um, that to enable us to have the feeder carrier relationship with Empire who is the operator of Ohana by Hawaiian right. flights um, we have various 
scope protections as you see in um, other carriers that have right. uh, Not feeder uncommon. carrier relationships have various things. One of ours is a, uh, a 12 month look back on the number of block hours that we fly. And in our case, it's on the block hours we fly on mainline flights within the islands. Yeah. And of course, since quarantines went in place in April, uh, and we dropped our neighbor island schedule a lot, our trailing 12 month block hours has been going down and down and down. And by the end of October, we actually um, cross over that threshold. Oh, I see. Um, we cross over that threshold in October, right after um, we furloughed employees and that's at, at the issue. end of, of September. And so um, I, I, I think it is, it's difficult. I'm, uh, I'm sympathetic to, um, you know, the circumstances of crossing the threshold were obviously something none of us anticipated when it was negotiated. Right. Um, and, um, you know, ceasing to fly Ohana by Hawaiian flights isn't going to generate any more activity on Hawaiian airlines. Because you guys um, said flights. you can't, I saw in the DOT filing, you, you can't operate a 717, it's weather and runway issues. That... Yeah, it, it is uh, It is challenging into Lanai, particularly if it's wet, um, but it is, um, but we have um, done it on occasion when conditions are right. Molokai is just, it's a really short runway with obstacles and, um, and the, the 717 is an airplane that uh, still has a considerable amount of speed when you're coming in yeah. to, for landing and, and we're not comfortable with the safety margins of operating that on a, a recurring basis. So is there any hope that the pilots will, because I saw the flight attendants agreed, right, to allow it to continue, but the, the pilots were the sticking point? Yeah, we're, we're, we're still having um, discussions. Um, you, you know, I, I hope we can, uh, I hope we can get something done, but, um, but I'm, again, I, I have, uh, an understanding of why it's difficult at a time yeah. when uh, when there are people on furlough on the main line and and these are um, these are issues that uh, unions um, fight hard to put um, sure. scope protections in agreements uh, in general and and often you know want to stand by them on a principled basis. Sure, I just feel bad for the people of Molokai and Lanai that now they. I mean, there's nothing wrong with Mokolele except for the fact that they, they're small planes. <laughs> they can't get as much. And yeah. I think it was something of a lifeline. So hopefully that gets worked out at some point. Yeah, I hope we can, I hope we can get there. Well, let me shift toward the future here. So, um, One I, of the things on that we do yeah. have in place, by the way, yeah. is, is in the event um, that there was a, an extension of the payroll support program and we didn't have any furloughs. Yeah. Um, we have negotiated with... Um, the unions that um, that in that scenario we would we would resume uh, oh, the service. So the block hour issue would be waived if there if everyone's off for yeah. Okay. How's that going for you? <laughs> <laughs> it is. Uh, you know as much as I know at this point. Uh, <laughs> and that's sad. <laughs> I would hope you would know more, but. All right. It, it, it's been this, it's exactly where where it has been for about the last four or five weeks is that we have broad 
bipartisan, bicameral support that this was one of the most successful job retention programs of the original CARES Act and that it would be valuable to extend it. And there is no legislative vehicle to attach that to. So you remember that thing you were talking about with the state with, you know, collaborative working with the government? That's uh, apparently not a thing with the feds. <laughs> it's, uh, you don't need to comment on it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I mean, I can imagine the frustration. Uh, I mean, they got you off the island. You had to probably quarantine for 14 <laughs> days to come back uh, after going out there. To uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I did, in, in fact. Um, uh, I, I had, um, because of my work with the airline, I had, uh, I had a uh, exemption to come to work only. So, oh. so I referred to it as two weeks of... Uh, of home confinement with limited work release. <laughs> How nice but of I, them. <laughs> but I couldn't pick up my coffee on the way into the office. Oh my God. That's, well, okay. <laughs> I mean, so be it. Um, but all right, so the, look, people are coming again. I'm here. That's very exciting. Yeah. Uh, for me, at least. That's but funny. are you seeing, are the numbers encouraging so far of what you're seeing? I mean, I'm going to talk to Brent in more detail yeah. about this. But. It, it does feel like, uh, like an inflection point. And, and we've been, you, you know, we've talked about everywhere we flew has been affected by quarantines. And I think what people have seen globally is absolutely true. If you put a quarantine in place, uh, even if it's not, 14 days, uh, it will comprehensively stifle uh, demand. Yeah. Uh, so having that uh, out, and I think there was, we didn't see immediately a pickup in bookings because people had seen the date roll from August 1st to September 1st to September uh, 15th or right. whatever. It, it, it moved it a couple moving. times. I think it was yeah. the first 15th uh, or August, September October 1st and then October 15th. I think people kind of bought August 1st for a little while, never bought September 1st, never bought October 1st. Sort of saw once we started really putting plans in place and here's how you can get tested. And you see that in the bookings trend that it has, it has picked up as we've gone along and we've seen bookings continue as you know, we we got past the fifteenth. Yeah. So, um, obviously, a long way to go. There wasn't, there hasn't been very much on the books for November, December. Right before that time period, first quarter of next year is pretty bare. So we've got a lot of catch up to do, and I, I don't think it just rockets back, but um, but enough that to justify some of the you know flying that we've ramped up in November and more coming in December, as we announced yesterday. Uh, so, looking in beyond into the future here, um, maybe Australia will let us in again, maybe not. But <laughs> either way, there's likely to be reduced demand for some time. Um, and you have a lot of airplanes on order. <laughs> you have a lot of 787s waiting to come in. What What are your thoughts on that right now? Uh, is that something you're talking to Boeing about? or? Uh, do you have other yeah plans? We, 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 we've said publicly that we've been in um, discussions with Boeing we're not um, the original schedule uh, the schedule has us planning for those airplanes to start arriving in the spring of 
2021. Um, we're not um, working on entering any planes into service in 2021. Uh, we're in discussions with um, Boeing about that, that, um, you know, all I can say at this point is that is that we're uh, continuing to be in discussions, and they they are uh, a good partner, and we're um, we're talking, and we'll have more to announce when we have more to announce. You still want to take seven eight sevens as the next fleet? Yeah, I I still have a lot of confidence that that is a great airplane for us for the long term, and I'm still a big believer that um, we have a great. Um, long term and we're going to need uh, airplanes in the future for replacement and for growth um, but we don't need more airplanes for 2021 um, so uh, and, and we don't need to be adding the complexity of introducing a new fleet type at a time when we don't need more airplanes so um, so you know well we're, we're talking about timing we're not talking about uh, about canceling an order right great Thank you, Peter, for coming into the office and social distancing with me while I was in Hawaii. And also, thank you to Ontario International Airport, our presenting sponsor. Remember, even amid a global pandemic, ONT's commitment to the vital role it plays has been unbending. Whenever you're ready, whether it's for work or long-awaited reunions, ONT is ready to get you on to what matters most. If you'd like to be a sponsor, send me a note. CF at crankyflyer.com. And that's it for this episode. Until next time.